0: I don't want to mess with your theology, but let me mess with it. The way I see things in this book, there's two books when we get to heaven. There's the Word of God and the Lamb's Book of Life. And those names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are those that have been bathed in the blood of Jesus, buried with Him in baptism, full of the Holy Ghost, living a life pleasing unto the Lord. And those are the ones that are going to get to spend eternity with the Lord. I think we can all agree on that. So, the reason there's two books is the one that has the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are those that spent their time on the earth judging themselves according to the Word of God. Thus the Scripture Peter said, judgment must begin at the house of God. Because the reason we can make it to the other side is we spent our time making sure our life matched up to this book. We judged ourselves according to this book. We let this book dictate what we should do and what we shouldn't do and where we should go, where we shouldn't go, and how we should live and how we shouldn't live. And because we spent our time judging ourselves down here, then we're not going to be judged by that book up there. That's going to be for those that's names not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to be judged by the word either way. The difference is you can judge yourself by the word down here and make it to heaven or be judged by the word up there and miss out. I'd rather spend eternity with the Lord because I made sure my life matched up with this book while I was down here. See, once you make it to heaven in the rapture, God's not going to kick you out. After the tribulation and the Great white throne judgment. It's not going to be like, hey, you go, you made it for seven years or however long, and then you get out. No, when you make it, you make it. Well, that's a whole other sermon out there. I may preach that one day. Turn with me to Romans four twenty. Good to see everyone. Let me say thank you for all those who made it to prayer meeting. We had almost a packed house of prayer meeting, a great move of God. I know that it's, it's nearly impossible to get everybody here because of schedules and conflicts and jobs, et cetera. And I trust that you prayed in your own private time, but let me commend you. Thank you for being here. I just feel great things God doing in Wallace Ridge. Amen. Verse 20, he staggered not, speaking of Abraham, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Being fully persuaded. I want to preach tonight on the power of a made-up mind. The power of. Of a made up mind. Father, thank you for the word, thank you for the spirit and every heart that is in the house of God. I believe you're gonna do great things in our midst, and I, I thank you for it in advance. We give you glory and praise. Shall we clap our hands unto the Lord one more time as you're being seated this evening? There was a Spaniard name Hernandez Hernan Cortez, rather. And in the 1500s, he was known for leading a large expedition consisting of about 600 Spaniards, 16 or so horses, and 11 boats to Mexico. The goal set before them was to capture a magnificent treasure that was believed to be held there. Something unique happened, though, as they arrived and all of the men unloaded. Cortez turned and ordered that all of the ships that were awaiting them, that just dropped them off, they were to be burned. This sent a clear message to those that was with him. There's no turning back. Once we burn the boats... The only option we have is to do that which we have set out to do. Although you might assume that his men would have become despondent with no exit strategy in place to save their lives. Instead, they rallied behind their leader as never before. And within two years, he succeeded in his conquest of conquering the Aztec Empire. There's something to be said about a person who makes up their mind that I'm going to do what I've set out to do regardless of what comes my way. There's power in a made-up mind. A made-up mind is, is an intriguing thing. You observe and you study in children. It could be a good thing or a bad thing, but when they set their mind to a lot of them, if it was like me, I, I I just I was I was just determined that I was going to do what I set out to do. You observe people that made up mind can lead to their detriment. It could be a bad thing. But there's also a lot of people who have done great things in life because they did not look backwards. They only looked forward. And if we're going to live for God and we're going to be who God's purpose us to be as Christians and as world changers, then it's going to be that we make up our mind It doesn't matter what happens on the left or on the right. It doesn't matter what my friends say or what people say. I'm going to make it to the other side. There's a heaven to be gained and there's a hell to shun. There's a reward that I'm going to let me talk to some elders that you've been living for God for a long time. My friend, now's not the time to throw in the towel, but now's the time to rise up with renewed fervor and renewed power and say, I'm going to make it if I start. I'm gonna make it. I'm not a singer by no means, but I there's an old song I remember as a kid. And you you probably sang it around here. It, it, the words said, "I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up." I don't know about you, but there's times where the only thing that kept me going was my foot was standing on that which was immovable, and I had a made up mind that if I started, I'm gonna finish. Why, why do we preach this gospel? Hebrews 3.12 says, take heed, brethren. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, we persuade men. Do you realize the whole point of preaching is to persuade an individual? To turn from their unrighteous ways and to turn towards God, we're not—we're not up here, myself nor any other men, a man or, or or these men that exhort and worship. They're not up here just to, to 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 hype somebody up and to to get you up into a frenzy. They're up here to persuade you to keep on going in the direction that you're going. Sometimes, because we're human, we just got to be reminded of something. Word of the Lord does two things. It is a source of revelation. It exposes and brings about that which is new. And it's also the source of a reminder. It reminds us of what we already know we're supposed to be doing. And so the whole time a person is preaching, He is persuading individuals. Maybe it's someone that's never had the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says we're begotten by the Word. So as that preacher delivers the Word of God, it's planting a seed in somebody's spirit. It's planting just a nugget in their spirit. says, you know what? Maybe I should go to that altar. Maybe I should go and repent of my sins. Maybe I should be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're persuading men. That's what we're doing. Paul said, or rather the Hebrew the writer of Hebrews said, "Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God." We are Believers, I like Brother Donnie put it on that church sign when he worked on the church worked on the church sign the other night. Believe, become, belong. How many of you saw it as you driving by? Believe, but I just kept driving by. I just wanted to watch that sign because that's what we are. We are believers. Now, when we think about sin, we we automatically think about all kinds of bad things, things that the world does. But Scripture says that an unbelieving heart is evil. Unbelief is evil. And we can talk about everything that the world does crazy, and we can say, hey, they're evil. But there's people sitting on church pews that have unbelief, and God looks at that and says, that's evil. What happened when they sent out the spies to the land? God said, hey. I've already given, there's, there, there's all kinds of stuff here, good things. I've already given you the land. And 10 came back, and all they focused on was the giants. All they focused on was the impossibilities, the things that they saw. That Hey, yeah, all that stuff you told us exists. There's grapes, and, and there's all this fruit, and there's the honey, there, there's everything, but but there's the giants also. Let me tell you, any time God tries to move us into greater dimensions, you can either focus on what God will do or you can focus on the impossibilities of it. Because as we grow as a church, there's going to be all kinds of things that you can look at and say, hey, well, what about this or what about that? But you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at revival. I'm looking at souls. I'm looking at a God that can answer all of that stuff and fix all of those problems. And because 10 of them, the Bible says they gave an evil report. It was an unbelieving report. It cost them 40 years until everybody 20 and over, or over 20, died. They didn't get to see the promised land because of their unbelief. And so he's he's warning, said, hey, if you're going to make sure your heart is, is right, make sure there's no unbelief. Watch this, because unbelief leads to departing from the living God. That's what Scripture says. If you believe, then you're focused on the God that can do anything. But when you start entertaining unbelief, then you're not looking at that God. You're not looking at what God can do. You're looking at all the impossibilities of men. And you can find impossibilities everywhere. You can find impossibilities everywhere. You've got to make up in your mind. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. My eyes are going to be focused on the one thing that never changes, and that's the power of my God. It can be bad and worse and worse than worse, but God never changes fully persuaded we got to be fully persuaded in his promises Bible says Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform and there for it was imputed to him for righteousness, because Abraham believed God now you got to understand, put yourself in that situation in fact let's let 's back up put you you before you had the Holy Ghost because Abraham didn 't have the Holy Ghost. Put that person in that situation, and then say, tell me how hard it would be to believe in a God that you 've never seen. Did not know his name, it'd be pretty tough. But Abraham believed, and God said, I'm accounted unto you for righteousness because you believed in that which you have never seen and you've never heard of, but you're willing to walk in obedience to the word. Anybody can walk in obedience once it's done, but let's talk about walking and believing before it ever happens for 20, 30, 40 years or your lifetime, and you've never seen it. But you never stop believing. You see, believing is not so much about God as much as it is about us. If you believe or don't believe, it has no bearing on who God is. God's going to still be God. He's going to still be true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's still going to be, whether you believe or not. So it's not so much about activating God. It's about your own righteousness and your own salvation, believing that God can do what he said he would do. And Abraham staggered not at the promise. He was given a promise. He was given a promise in Genesis. God spoke to him and said, I want you to look at the stars. I want you to look at the sand. I'm going to do all of this stuff. And then the Lord tells him, okay, I want you to go get a a heifer and a goat and a ram. and, and, And the Bible says he got all of these animals, and he laid them out before the Lord. Those represented the promise that God gave him. It was a visible, tangible manifestation of the invisible exchange between God and man. And the Bible says when Abraham laid those out before the Lord, that the fowls of the air came down and were trying to eat away at those things that represented the promises of God. You know what the Bible says Abraham did? The Bible says he drove them away. whole time those things laid out before the Lord, he was fighting off buzzards. He was fighting off vultures because he wasn't going to let anything mess with his promise from God. And there's people here tonight that you know God gave you a word. You know God gave you a promise. You know God gave you something to hold on to. And there's things going to come and try to eat away at those promises and try to pull those promises from you. And when that happens, the only the thing you do is you just begin to fight off, fight off that doubt. You fight off that unbelief. You fight off that negativity because if it's a word from God, it's a sure word. You can stand on that word. There's been times I went to prayer and I, and I said, God, I know what you told me. I know you gave me a word. I know you spoke to my heart. I can remember last year sometime, uh, probably February, March of 2000. I'm sorry, 2017. I forgot we're in 2019. Time moves fast. Man called me one day, said, I want to I take you to go eat breakfast. I, I love eating. I never turned down a meal. I'm sorry, i we not supposed to be talking about food. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. So I said, okay, well, this is a pastor. And, and, and as an evangelist, you don't get calls from pastors unless they want you to go preach. They so said, let's go, let's go meet up. I said, okay. So we meet. And I'm waiting for it. I know there's something. You know, you kind of have a, a hunch sometimes when there's something going on. Finally, we're at the end of it. He looked at me and said, okay, uh, I'm fixing to retire. I want you to come take my church. It was a large church. I would preached there many, many times. And I'd been praying for the will of God. I mean, I had prayed and prayed and prayed for the will of God. I, I believe in a perfect will of God. And, and, and I thought to myself, I said, well, Lord, okay, this must be, this might be it. And, and I told him, I said, well, if you'll let me pray about it, I'm not going to commit yet. I want to pray about it. And so I prayed, and, and everything within me thought, all right got a good rapport with the church. This is it. And the Holy Ghost said no. And I said, Hold up a minute, Lord. Maybe maybe I just didn't pray good enough. Maybe I need to change how I pray, Lord. And so I prayed and I prayed. And that man called me back. He said, well, what you feeling? I said, I, I don't feel it. Lord said no. He said, well, just keep praying and I'll call you back. I said, I'll keep praying about it, but the Lord's told me no, but I'll pray. So I prayed, and time's going on, and he's letting months, a couple of months rock on, and, and he called again. He said, well, what do you feel? I said, well, the Lord said no. I said, brother, trust me. I said, it has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with the church. The Lord said no, and I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please the Lord, And and, 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 and it just, it just kind of felt like i was walking through a, a dark time right there because i said lord i know what i feel in the holy ghost but i don't have no handwriting on the wall and nobody come and give me a word and said you don't go to this church and uh, but 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 i know and lord you you told me that that this is that i would walk in, in your path and i would know your will and and god you know i want to do the will of god and during that time during that time is when negativity starts coming in starts creeping in, well, maybe I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and maybe I don't know what the voice of God sounds like, and maybe this, and maybe that, and And, and, and when you're in that time, if you let the buzzards come down, they'll pick away at everything that you thought was from God, You let, and, and buzzards show up in strange ways, sometimes they look like people. They just have a way at zapping your faith and picking away at everything that you thought you knew God told you. Start causing you to question. Maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe I did. I can't hear from God. All of this, during the middle of all of that, God has a way of just reminding us, hey, you're on the right track. I was driving down the road one day between Ragley, Louisiana and Reeves, Louisiana. Got a phone call from a lady in my home church. Didn't know a thing. Didn't know a thing. She called. She said, Brother brother Tyler, see, the whole time I, I felt like I was just wandering in the dark and because God wasn't writing nothing out plain for me. And so she called. She said, brother, brother Tyler, the Lord told me to call and tell you that he can see just as well in the dark as he can in the light. And when the time's right, you'll know it. Thank you, Jesus. Boom, buzzards, get away. I got a word from God. See, when you get a word from God, you stand on that word. And you don't let doubt. You don't let unbelief. You don't let people come in and mess with what you know God told you. You got to have a made-up mind. I am staying fully persuaded. Abraham, this is a promise I'm making between God and man. It's going to change the course of history. And your lineage is going to be multiplied by the millions, and you won't even know it. And Abraham said, it's good enough for me. I'm going to just keep walking. I'm going to keep believing that God, he staggered not. In fact, you go on and you read Hebrews 11, which was the hall of faith, and it talks about all of the mighty men of God and and women of God that made that chapter. And this is what it says in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, never laid eyes on them or or never laid their hands on them, but they saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You have a whole lot of people not even mentioned in that in Hebrews 11 that didn't make that chapter. But God looked at them and said, you know what? You're like Abraham. I'm going to count it to you for righteousness because I gave you a word, and you said, I'm not, I see it, God. I embrace that word. And every day they woke up, they, they woke up believing this could be the day that that promise is going to happen. This could be the day that God's going to do what he promised me. You know why you're here tonight is because you believed that this promise of the Holy Ghost is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. The reason you're here is because you believed in that promise. You were persuaded. You, you believe when I go to that altar and I, I repent of my sins and ask God to forgive me. First, when, when, I, when I go pray with people. I ask them, especially as an evangelist when you don't know anybody, I ask them, do you believe that God can fill you with his spirit tonight? If they said yes, we pray. If they said no, I just prayed a blessing over them. Because if, if you don't believe that God will do what he said he will do, you're not going to get it. You'll wear out the saints of the most high trying to pray with you and you don't believe. So if someone believes, I have literally seen them. Lift their hands up, start saying, I love you, Jesus. And within 10 or 15 seconds, they were speaking another language. Because it's, faith is not how you feel, it's what you believe. If you believe that God will give you the Holy Ghost, you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to believe it. And you are a testimony of that because you experience that in your own life. You say, preacher, what happens if I don't speak it? To what happens if I don't receive the Holy Ghost? You know what? Do it again. Do it again. took me seven years to get the Holy Ghost. Not because I was that bad, but because I was trying to figure out how I was going to talk in tongues. God, God, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Lord, I want to know how. How are you going to do it, God? You'll never understand it. Nobody in this building can tell you how God does it. Nobody. Because it's not for you to understand. It's for you to receive. receive it. You receive it. You don't beg your way to it. You don't plead your way to it. You just praise your way to it. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. And when your eyes are so focused on him, you'll just catch yourself. You'll speak in another language. It's not what man does, but you got to believe. So we've got to be pers- fully persuaded in his promises. Secondly, we've got to be fully persuaded in his power. You realize that the same power we read of in this book is the same power that we operate in today? God did not change power when he changed from Old Testament to New Testament. Same God. In fact, the Bible says, and ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost. Power does not precede promise. It follows promise. When you get the Holy Ghost, then you get the power. And that power is what enables you to be a witness of his His glory and his majesty. And you're an example. You read the book of Acts, you'll find the power of God on constant display. You know why? Because God's method of evangelism is not inviting somebody to church, although that's good and it's needed. But you know God's method of evangelism for revival? Miracles, signs, and wonders. Because when they see people get healed of cancer, they'll believe. When they see people get out of a wheelchair, they'll believe. When they see God do a work in your life, they'll believe. you got to be persuaded that God can do what he said he would do. you got to believe. you got to believe that God can do what he said he would do. My favorite verse in the Bible, I know everybody has their favorite verse. It's probably not what you think it is. It's Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-five. 25. This is what it says. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Now, if y'all had took a bet on what was my favorite verse, you wouldn't have picked that. But here's why. Because when God looked at your life, He looked at the end and the beginning. He saw your heartache, your hardship, your trials, your questions, your misunderstandings. He saw everything that was going to encapsulate your life. And he measured it out. And then he said, okay, how much strength do they need to match their days? As thy days are, so shall thy strength be. And God gave from your very first breath that you ever took as a newborn baby, God already had in place all of the strength you will need to match the days that you're going to live on this earth. So when you think, I can't make it, when you think, God, how can I take this anymore? How can I handle this anymore? You just got to remember, as my days are, so shall my strength be. God already gave me the strength to wake up another day. God already gave me the strength to make it through the sickness that I'm going through. He already gave me the strength that I need to go through every situation. It's already there. You don't have to you don't have to ask and hope God refills your tank. It's there. You gotta walk in it. So we gotta be fully persuaded in his promise, fully persuaded in his power, and fully persuaded. In his protection. God knows right where you're at every single second of your life. You know, there's times in my life, I, 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 I'm, God's helping me become more patient. Not with people, with time. I'm just, I'm not the most patient. I just, I'm driven. I just like to go, 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 hundred, 100 miles an hour. I just like to always go. I'm wired like that but I've learned that if I'm stuck in a traffic jam or if something happens that sets me back, you never know what God was keeping you and protecting you from. We can get all worked up and get mad and, and get frustrated, not mad at anybody, but just get frustrated about the situation that we can't control. But we we can't see all the factors that that God might be keeping us from. I remember one night my wife and I, we brought the kids. We used to go over to Houston. Houston was only two hours away from where we lived, and we would go over and and make a night every now and then, go shop or whatever, just to break up the monotony sometime of life, just to have a getaway. And around Houston, they have, a, if you're familiar with it, they have what they call Beltway 8, which is the big loop all the way around Texas, uh, Houston, and it avoids going through downtown, all that traffic and stuff. Well, one night we were going over there, and, <clears throat> excuse me, we were literally maybe a mile to a mile and a half from our exit, and our exit when you came off the exit, our hotel was right there, so our hotel you could see on the beltway and as we're coming i'm I'm in the right hand lane because I know i'm fixing to be getting off the beltway, and I see out of my side mirror this suburban Coming at breakneck speed and and, and the bellway already moves fast, so when you see somebody that's passing everybody, you know this dude is flying, and he got up by me right on the next right beside me, had my vehicle full of my family, and he started to come over well, I naturally I pulled the wheel over to try to avoid him all of a sudden, he jerked the wheel to the left, and went across all four lanes of traffic, or three, jerked it back, come across, it's a miracle that there was no cars that he hit, jerked it back to the right, and jerked it to the left again. This time when he jerked it to the left, God is my witness and is my wife and family. He literally jumped the concrete median onto the other side of oncoming traffic, Jerked the wheel right again, jumped up, his Suburban landed on the concrete medium and skidded on that median and came to a stop. Never seen anything like it in my life. Couldn't make it up. If I I wasn't there, people wouldn't believe me. But when you're in situations like that, you quickly are reminded of God is my protector. God is my protector. You don't know. Split seconds alter people's destinies. And you have to be fully persuaded. It doesn't matter what comes against my body, what comes against my family, what happens if I'm flying or driving or whatever your mode of travel is. God is with me every single second. Uh, Bible says he's as close as the mention of his name. Nothing. Paul said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nothing shall separate me from the love of Almighty God. The power, God is my protector. There's people, they're scared of their own shadow. And I'm thinking, the Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. I know it's a natural emotion. Okay, I understand that there's times we get scared of them, But I'm talking about people living in fear. There's a difference of getting scared every now and then and living in fear. We're not, if you got the Holy Ghost, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. It used to scare me to death as a kid that God would come back. And you too. <laughs> because we cannot fathom eternity, we only know what we know. But the older I get, I realize that Paul said comfort one another with these words. If you're living for God and you're living right, it's a comfort to know that I don't have to, I don't have to perish with the wicked. I don't have to live in this world all of my life. There's a better place that God's prepared for me. And, and, and I'm not scared of that place. So finally, we have to be fully persuaded in his provision. God can provide. God can provide. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is not obligated to supply your wants. He's obligated himself by his word to supply your needs. And if we're all honest... All of our needs have been met. Not all of our wants. because God never said, I'll supply all your wants. He just said, I will supply all of your needs. What did he tell the disciples when he sent them out by two? He said, don't take your script. Don't take a bag. Don't take all of this stuff. I'll supply all of it. One, one lesson I learned the hard way as an evangelist, not because I'm bad, but because I'm human. I believe that God would open the doors for me as an evangelist. And when you got 3 or 4 months on the books, it's easy to say I believe. But when you're on your last weekend and you're looking at an empty calendar and bills stacked up, then let's talk now about believing. So what I would what I would do when I was an evangelist at times, especially when I was just starting out, I'd call when I'd got down to that last weekend. I'd call some guys that said, "Hey, if you ever have a weekend off, I'll preach you." You know, and I'd call them and, "Oh yeah, man, come on, come on." I'd book up two or three weeks. Whoo, thank you, Jesus, I can pay my bills now. But I can't tell you how many times I did that, and that Saturday before Sunday. That would have been an open weekend. A pastor would call and say, well, Stevenson, I just felt like I needed to have you come. And I'd say, oh, brother, I'm already booked because I couldn't cancel the people I already booked. And God taught me, if you'll trust me, I'll put you right where I want you. God knows right where you're at. He knows how to provide. And it's easy to talk about when we've got money in the bank, but let's talk when we don't have money in the bank remember one time my wife and I needed groceries, and we had one little girl, and we didn't have no groceries. And one day we came home and opened the door, and somebody had come and filled our kitchen with grocery bags full of groceries. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. It may not come how you want it. I read a sign one time in a guy's office and said, people pray for a miracle and opportunity, but sometimes it shows up in overalls and a hammer. We want mailbox miracles, but you know what? If God gives you opportunity to make that amount of money that you need to pay your bills, that's still a miracle. I mean, God can do the mailbox thing. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. But see, here's the problem. The miracle will come, but it may not come how you think it'll come. Let me give you an example. Abraham brought his son Isaac up the mountain. You know the story. And when he's fixing to go up there, the people that was with him said, "Hey," or rather, Isaac spoke up and said, "Hey, we got the wood. We got a, but where's the where's the sacrifice?" And this is what the Lord, what Abraham said, "The Lord will provide Himself a lamb to be sacrificed." Isn't that what he said? It's in the book. When he got up there and got the knife in the air, what was in the thicket? A ram. Now Abraham could have said, "Nope, I said a lamb." He took what God gave him. God gave him a ram. And and when you're praying for God to do the miracle, take what God gives you when he does the miracle because it all comes from God. God knows what you need. When you need it, stand with me. I'm hurrying to a close. There's been many times, and in your life, not just mine, where God did the miracle, but it didn't happen like you thought it would happen. But a miracle is still a miracle. It all comes from God. If, if God did everything exactly like we asked him to do it, then that would mean he takes commands and orders from mortal men. God doesn't have to follow our direction. God doesn't have to do it. Because a lot of times if if God would have answered our prayers like we prayed them to To be answered, some of us wouldn't even be here tonight. We wouldn't. God does what's best for you because he sees who he wants you to be. Just like I talked about the other day when you have children, your entire discipline method and how you judge and make decisions for that child is not based upon who they are at that moment. It's based upon who you see them being in the future. There's been many, many times the easy thing for me to do when my kids were, were were acting crazy was just to give them what they wanted. Here, settle you down. Be quiet. But I couldn't because it would contradict my parenting style for who I see them becoming. And if every time we started whining, and wailing and crying and snotting. And we just want God to hurry up. Here, here, God, here, be quiet. It wouldn't be for our betterment. It would be to our detriment. And faith is not built when things are going good. Faith is built when things are going bad. But you've got to believe that God is a God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And, and, and God can do anything. He is a provider. He is a provider. I've got got a a whole book of testimonies, and you do, of things that God has done in my life and in your life. And when you're at your lowest, go back and think about all the times God provided. Go back and think about all the ways that God made. What do I do? It'll build your faith for what's to come. Musicians, you could come. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what, preacher? You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the battles that I'm facing. You don't know the doubt that I'm dealing with. And we all deal with doubt, whether we act like we do or we don't. We all deal with it. We all deal with it. When you walk out of this place tonight, I want you to walk out of here with a made-up mind that it doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. It doesn't matter what happens next week. I started this thing to finish it. I didn't start it to give up when things got tough. I didn't start it to throw in the towel when things happened that I didn't understand. You, 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 you're you, committed to it. Maybe you're here and you say, preacher, I've never had the Holy Ghost. You can get the Holy Ghost tonight. Maybe you want a renewing of the Holy Ghost. You can get it tonight. All that happens, all that matters is that you believe. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over the building, please. Nobody looking around. Lord, you see every heart in this place tonight. You see every individual. You know exactly what they've been praying. You know the things that they have laid out before you. Maybe they came tonight saying, God, I need an answer. God, I need a word from you. God, is this true? The Lord just wants me to remind you it's true. He is true. He is true. God cannot change. He is perfect in all ways. He is the epitome of purity. Maybe you're here and you've been struggling as to whether or not God has heard your prayer and you and God knows what you're going through. God knows. God's heard. We're fixing to come around this altar. When we come to this altar, we're not going to come begging, pleading, crying. We're going to come with our hands raised. To I'm inviting every person. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift our hands, and we're just going to thank God for knowing right where we're at. We're going to thank God for the miracles that he's going to do in our life. We're going to thank God for proving himself time and time again. While Sister Joyce begins to sing, why don't you come and let God remove all doubt out of your mind? Why don't you come and let God remove that doubt? Come on, God knows right where you're at tonight. God knows right where you're